Welcome to the Financial Planners South Africa podcast, a show dedicated to driving the positive evolution of financial advice, specifically in South Africa. To join a global community of financial advisors, sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion, people and the evolution of wealth management. Our global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio Metrics is an authorized financial services provider. AssetMap is a proud sponsor of this podcast. Are you looking for the next big thing in advisor technology? AssetMap is used by thousands of financial advisors to help create more meaningful conversations with clients. See for yourself how AssetMap is leading the next phase of financial advice delivery. Learn more at asset-map.com forward slash Louis for special listeners discount. This episode is proudly brought to you by Alan Gray. They say it's important to live for today. Although that might be true, we can't forget to plan for tomorrow. There's a lot of it left, after all. Alan Gray is an authorized financial services provider. Visit www.alangray.co.za to learn how we build long-term wealth for clients. Welcome to another episode of Financial Planners South Africa. Today in the studio, I have with me Gustav Nietling. Gustav is a good friend, a certified financial planner, a founder of a financial services provider uh, around the corner from us. He's passionate about technology, moving the industry forward, and you are in for a treat today. Gustav, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Louis. Great. So for those of you that haven't seen Gustav around, you know, you started out your journey with one of the insurers and after about eight years, you decided to build a financial services provider. But I'm curious, how did you end up in financial services? What was that decision before you joined this insurer? Uh, unpack us a little bit your decision making and, and how you got started in this industry. Yeah, Louis, thank you very much. So um, my my background is quite interesting in the sense that um, I went to the University of Stellenbosch. Um, as most kind of first year um, students, you don't really know exactly what you want to do. So you started to kind of play around with the subjects. I bounced around. I remember four different uh, BCom um, um, certificates that I tried to kind of play around with. And eventually, I think in my second year, I landed up in kind of BCom investments. And, and I, and I, at that stage, um, got a kind of a liking for investments. Um, so I eventually graduated in the BCom financial analysis. Um, and after graduating, I went to my professor and I said, okay, well, what do you do with this kind of graduation now? He says, well, you obviously do an honors in BCom financial analysis. I was like, okay, let's do that then. So I completed my honors in BCom financial analysis. At that stage, that um, the honors degree was very similarly linked to um, the CFA level one um, of the Chartered Financial Institute. We become a portfolio manager, um, completed the, the honors degree in financial analysis, and then went back to the same profession and said, okay, I did the honors as you recommended, what now? And they said, well, it's very simple. You've now got kind of one of two decisions you need to make. You can either continue on the CFA route and, and become a CFA charter holder and become go into portfolio management, or you become a CFP, a certified financial planner, and you go into the financial planning part. And then I asked my, my professor, I said, well, which one would you recommend? And, and at that stage, this was now Professor Neil Kricher at the University of Stellenbosch. He was very passionate about financial planning and the CFP uh, qualification. He said, uh, without a doubt, um, go the CFP route, um, which I then subsequently, after my honors degree, um, uh, completed. Um, so after the honors degree, I threw out my CV um, and um, all the insurers jumped on me because obviously being an honors degree graduate, um, they knew I had the, te- the technical um, knowledge. Um, and uh, yeah, then kind of landed up at the at the insurance provider. Um, that was also a very interesting kind of uh, phase of our life because um, if I didn't know what I was studying, I, I definitely didn't know what I was getting myself involved in um, when I actually accepted the job. Um, I still remember going through, I think, three levels of, of interviews. 
And even after the third interview, I still didn't know exactly what what they wanted me to do. And it was only after that honest heart-to-heart with your manager where they said, okay, so now you're going to write down the list of 100 people and you're going to phone them and you're going to go talk to them about insurance. I was like, what? I've got an honest degree in investments. Why do I need to talk to them about insurance? And so and that's the, the starting point. I thoroughly enjoyed my years at the at the insurer, uh, but obviously um, the difference between what happens in practice and uh, um, and uh, what we are taught at university, they yeah they, they miles apart. So um, yeah, um, I also kind of fell into the industry, although um, I'm very proud to say that I um, didn't have any other occupation. I've only known financial planning. And uh, yeah, it's my passion, and that's why I'm I'm very passionate about what I do. Gustav, it's wonderful to hear how Professor Nilkricher has had this impact in so many lives. We've had quite a few guests, myself included. He's been instrumental in you know shaping the path of financial planning. You obviously have a very strong background in building the technical skills. You know, getting the training, getting your certified financial planning designation. Walk us through what happens after you get your designation. Is there a need to continue study and to find a specialist field, or is that enough? Is that the part that we need to aim towards to ultimately get, or do you think that's you know the ticket to the game, as some are saying? No, no, definitely not. I think um, again, if I if I if I look at myself, um, and I not just from a professional point of view, but also from just who I am as a person. Um, from a very young age, I've always embraced um, this lifelong learning kind of outlook. Um, you never know enough. Um, I, I recall even kind of after completing the Certified Financial Planning, um, uh, the CP qualification or designation, um, it more had to do with my just my, my confidence per se, that I felt more confident in terms of making proposals to clients, uh, but I was definitely not the um, not the most cleverest person in the room. And um, linking that again back to the, this ability of lifelong learning, I think you can never know enough. And that's why it's very important to constantly have this beginner's mindset, at, uh, what they refer to. So as soon as you feel that you're the expert, um, that's a very dangerous, um, uh, a dangerous position to be in. Um, the other way that they kind of deal with it is whether you have this fixed mindset or growth mindset and, and somebody that that, that feels that they have a growth mindset is constantly is always learning, always trying to improve themselves. So yes, although from your traditional qualifications or certifications, yes, you get a certain qualification, but um, lifelong learning, lifelong educating yourself, constantly being curious, asking the very um, difficult converse, uh, questions, um, prodding, pushing, um, is, is something that I feel very strongly about. And that's why when we talk about technology later in the podcast, you'll see why I'm so passionate about technology because technology is one of those areas that con- that's constantly breaking down barriers and walls and constantly changing and adapting our industry. And you need to be able to adapt and change with it um, and not be fixed and rigid. Um, so as soon as you're in a position that you think you know it all and nothing is going to change, that's a very, very dangerous um, space to be in. Um, so, um, yeah, to answer the question, um, no, very much. It's a continuous learning, um, continually sharpening your skills. Um, I think the FSCA is also trying that with regards to the CPD hours, continuous professional development. It, it just needs to be part of your DNA. It's as simple as that. Yeah, this concept of a growth mindset in the work of Carol Dweck, I think is critical uh, for someone starting a business. And this year, Financial Emporium turns 10 years old. So that means that you've run your own FSP for almost a decade, being the founder and one of the first shareholders in that business. How difficult was it to take that leap from, I have a comfortable job that I've been doing for eight years, and now I'm going to go out and do my own thing. Um, Tell us about that time. And what did you put in place before you took the leap of faith, so to speak? Yeah, it was also a uh, a very stressful period, but also very invigorating at the same time. So I was not one of those people that um, made a, a, a rash decision very early on. This was also another, uh, something else that I can um, tip my hat off to Professor Krieger. 
Um, um, when I told him which insurance company I was going to join, he said, fantastic, it's a great decision, but just remember one thing, don't stay longer than two years. That was his final parting words. And I ended up staying seven years. But during that um, seven-year period, I obviously learned a lot. Um, and kind of yeah, somewhere between year two and four, I started kind of researching the ability to move into the independent space. Um, at that stage, and as most people would know, in the insurance kind of industry, you're either tied or what are they called, multi-tied, or it's a restricted kind of advice environment in which you operate, where there's a very firm kind of guideline and you have to stick within the guidelines. And my clients were pushing for kind of independent, kind of just give me the best, not the most appropriate advice, the best advice. Um, get me the best possible offer, not the, the most appropriate one based on my limited mandate. So, um, um, so I did a lot of research in terms of uh, setting up the business uh, beforehand. Um, that's also one of the reasons why I stayed um, seven years instead of the four years. Uh, it was a very long, lengthy process for me to find the right people to join um, uh, the business with me. So that was a, a very lengthy kind of process. Um, very early on in the process, I realized that I didn't want to be a one-man band. So I was dependent on getting other people on board um, and building this the dream team out. Um, so finding the right kind of people was a was a was was a, a, a tough task. Um, but yeah, with regards to the structuring and the setup, it, it it's fun. It's a hell of a learning curve. Um, as I said, when um, when you're in a in a big corporate machine where everything is taken care of, the next day you you in charge of buying paper, cleaning the kitchen, and giving financial advice all wrapped into one. So um, it is a it's a steep learning curve. Uh, but it's something I, I won't, uh, um, uh, I'm glad I went through that. Um, I think it makes me a, a better, more well-rounded person. Um, and the, no, the knowledge and skills um, that I learned from that initial time frame, I, I still apply to this day. That's why, um, as of today, I'm involved in five different businesses, and that number will probably increase going forward. Um, because um, once you know how to build one business, you know you've got the template, you've got the blueprint. Um, so now I'm just replicating that um, with different kind of uh, angles that I'm approaching kind of the, the, the investment, uh, uh, the business structures or the outcomes that I'm trying to achieve within those businesses. So, yeah, it was a fun time. Um, I'm glad the, the heavy lifting is done. Um, obviously, with any businesses, there's constantly changes um, and you have to adapt um, but as the business grows and becomes more stable and mature the challenges are slightly different you you're less worried about cash flow more worried about hr as an example so um yeah it was it was a good good time and i'm i'm very happy and very proud of the team that we that we uh, are celebrating our 10 year very shortly that is a wonderful milestone and i'd like to unpack a little bit that that first stretch where some people are saying it's best to get outside shareholders to help you with capital or get a loan for the early years where other advisors are just purely bootstrapping it. You know, they're making sure that they have enough clients, they're generating an income. Where do you sit on that spectrum? And in hindsight, would you have done anything differently starting out Financial Emporium? Yeah, so um, kind of the two questions. So, um Maybe just giving you some insight. We went the bootstrap, the bootstrap kind of route. Um, so I, I supplied some starting capital, and it was a matter of of just winging it. Um, uh, a big focus then, obviously, um, if you bootstrap it, you, you're constantly very, very focused on 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 kind of cash flow because money needs to come in because you've got a lot of expenses, a lot of overheads. I mean, that in the in your previous environment you didn't have to cover, but now you have to cover. Um, so the, the, the pro of bootstrapping it, you're very cost, uh, sensitive. Um, the big negative is, um, um, you don't have capital to, to set up the business exactly the way that you want. And now with the knowledge that I now have, if I had to set up a new FSP, I would go the getting external capital and getting everything in place from the word go. I think you're going to have a much more sustainable, less stressful, more efficient business in place. Um, by versus the kind of bootstrapping it and it's like building a puzzle but you have to build as you kind of grow so 
Um, I once kind of you, you get the analogy where you're driving a car on the N1 at 120 kilometers an hour, but now you're trying, you need somebody to work on the engine. It's that kind of analogy. And specifically that we're seeing with regards to financial planners and embracing technology as an example in the business. They first, they, they sort of fixated on, on the revenue and get, getting the financial plans or the uh, reviewing of the clients kind of portfolios out that they don't have sufficient time to get the foundation um, um, correctly sorted. Um, so yeah, it's a difficult convers- it's a difficult decision. Um, um, but again, if you if you have the means, um, maybe get some outside capital, get a very good business plan in place, get the structures, the systems, everything in place, and then just throw kind of your blood, sweat, and te- tears um, towards uh, the business. Um, that's what I, in an ideal world, I think we would have grown faster if we had that. We didn't have that. Um, um, uh, we didn't have that benefit, so we had to kind of bootstrap, and then you kind of—it's a bit of a spook and pluck exercise. So as the business grows, you're constantly having to adjust and adapt, and um, it's just a bit more work. Where I think you can be a box a bit more clever if you have a bit more cash in the bank, um, and it ties nicely into I think a, a trend or a theme that I'm seeing playing out is that the days of a one-man band, kind of these small kind of advice practices, it's very, very difficult to build a sustainable, strong business going forward. So especially in the independent market, um, I'm foreseeing and forecasting that more and more practices will merge or will move closer together. Um, so you just want that synergies. You want to have that economies of scale kicking in. Um, and that's why I think more and more advisors will start moving closer to each other um, to work together and knowing that they'll they'll have more efficiencies in their business. Um, and those efficiencies, the, 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 traditionally you get those efficiencies only from a business that's stable, that's been around the block, got systems and processes and policies, policies in place. Um, where if you initially, when you kind of wing it and you bootstrap, um, those efficiencies only come down many, many years down the line. Yeah, I sometimes wonder if clients know the early days of starting with an FSP, actually how much risk they're taking on by dealing with uh, someone that might not have, have those things in place. Gustav, the sense I get is that you're an entrepreneur first and then a financial planner. Even those, even though those two are linked quite co- closely, you think as a business owner and you think in the way of, of building a business. What's the 20, 30 year vision of Financial Emporium, or at least Gustav's version of that? Yeah, so the, uh, again, it, it's, um, it ties right back to the golden thread when I did my, re- uh, my research, um, when I was still in the tired insurance um, distribution model. When I asked my clients, how can I add more value to them? Why do they choose me? Why me? There's a million options out there. Why, what do we do different? And all of the clients roughly answered the questions along the same lines. They said, listen, we have to be very honest. We don't care how clever you are. Um, we don't know which financial advisors are clever and who not. We want somebody that we can trust. So it's that likability, somebody that we can relate to. So finding the right people, likable people, people with a strong ethical kind of foundation, um, by default in people that you can trust your money with. Um, and the most important thing is that they wanted um, clients, um, or they wanted their advisor to be able to give holistic, so independent advice, um, but very importantly across all the spheres of financial planning. So the product sets, um, and that's why why we also decided on our name, Financial Emporium. Emporium being this kind of everything under one one roof kind of um, advice practice. Um, so in our business, we 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 look at all the the traditional kind of four big product sets, so investments, long-term insurance, short-term insurance, medical aid, and then the, the overarching kind of holistic financial planning. So the financial planning part, the tax planning, estate planning, all of the more kind of advice, less product-centered kind of approaches. Um, and our view with regard to that is just kind of expanding on that. So we want to become better at certain areas. Um, so um, I think more and more, Across in the specific product sets is becoming very cumbersome and very difficult to become in, to remain completely independent, but be aware of all the, the the slight nuanced differences between the products. So in our businesses, we've got specialists in, in each area. We've got investment specialists that kind of 
That's their forte. And the same with regards to the insurance side. So we'll constantly just improve on that, that speciality area. So I see the, the future um, role of the financial advisor being more kind of where the financial advisor will be like uh, the, 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 the person that has the relationship with the client. But then, so if the client phones, he would phone his financial advisor, but that financial advisor, depending on the client's need or requirement at that stage, will then plug him into one of the specialist kind of roles. So whether it's somebody that specializes more on the product side or somebody that specializes more on the advice side, and that's how I see the, the final kind of model um, for financial planning rolling out. And as I said, our vision for financial emporium is to attract uh, the better or the right people um, and to fill in the gaps where we have either on the product or the advice side um, and to get those specialists kind of plugged in. Yeah, so that's um, kind of our vision. It's um, it's very much focused on, on the people side of, of the business. The people and technology are the two big levers that, that I can pull. So technology is just making sure that we improve efficiencies across every little angle. So um, something that we constantly um, have as a feedback within the business is I'm constantly asking my people, where are the bottlenecks? Where's the struggles? Where is the hurdles? How can I help them achieve a higher productivity level? Where's the 1% improvement that I can help them achieve? Um, and the other lever is just attracting the right, the, the, the right talent um, and obviously maintaining and keeping the talent that's already on board. Um, so yeah, that's our kind of a 10 year vision. Brilliant. Gustav, let's talk a little bit about the, the complexities that running an independent practice brings. And what I'm thinking of is purely the amount of different products that you need to take into account, the dealing with all the different product advisors. Do you find it onerous in running your business through all these multiple channels that you essentially have to customize dealing with each of these channels? Or have you figured out a way to reduce those bottlenecks, as you're saying? Yeah, no, it, it is a big, it's a big challenge. Um, inevitably, what happen, happens is there's some kind of biases that creeps in. Um, so uh, if you ask most product providers, um, they always have the same um, ease of doing business, as an example. So one way to attract um, business from a financial advisor is to make it easy for the product provider to deal with them. And these that get it right by default, whether it's the, the, the best suited product for the client, will attract um, the business um, along the way. I think also uh, something that I must just mention that um, when we started Financial Emporium, um, we initially had to kind of focus, our focus was very much uh, along the product line. So we had um, myself looking at the investments. At that stage, um, our CRM system that we used was called Spotlight. Um, at a later stage, a, a, a colleague of mine came in that looked more on the, on the, on the risk side. Um, at that stage, he was using at work. Um, and, um, my other colleague that also at a later stage came in, focused more on the short term insurance, um, um, sector. Um, and he came in there with files. Um, and the idea was we were going to cross pollinate and, and work on clients together. But because the client information was scattered all over the, all over the show, I decided to build our own internal kind of um, system. It's called Babylon that effectively pulls in information from various sources and, and gives us a kind of a, a holistic one view um, dashboard of the clients. And um, because it's our own proprietary software, we've been working on the software for the last 10 years and we're constantly making improvements and enhancements on that. Um, so I think that was a, a stroke of luck slash genius that we did. But because we have this technology that is our own system that we've custom built for the last 10 years, is that over the last 10 years, we've been constantly refining and, and adjusting and fine, uh, fine tweak and um, tweaking the system. Um, so um, that, that makes it a, a lot easier dealing with multiple product providers. It is, however, still very cumbersome. As I said, just, just keeping abreast of the latest changes, amendments, technical specification adjustments on all the products um, that you deal with is, is very cumbersome. Um, there's no easy easy way to get around with. Traditionally, what we do is we in the different product sets, we try and group them along certain kind of uh, key differentiators. Um, so uh, when comparing products, we try and choose completely random products that are not similar in nature. So the similar 
products, there's a, there's a way of filtering them out. Um, so we're in a, in, a, in a better position to identify um, which of the product sets would work for the client. Um, you, we all know it. I mean, when you sit in front of a client and you provide 12 different options to the client, you lose the client completely. So it's our responsibility or as the financial planner to distill and simplify the information and then to effectively give the client one, maybe two choices. Um, and then have a discussion around which of the two and why the two different options are the best. Um, it is a challenge and um, being independent. And I know the FSCA has made rumors with regards to if you, if you want to be independent, you need to be, um, you need to offer the entire market. I don't know how, how viable, um, that option is. So it is a challenge, but, um, yeah. We, we're taking shortcuts where we can, and technology being one of those big things that we that we uh, uh, that we focus on. I think this term of independence is maybe getting less important, and that it's maybe becoming product agnostic, and saying, "Hey, we can help you with the products that you already have, but when it comes to implementation, these are our preferred providers, and maybe that is good enough," as opposed to being. 100% completely and utterly independent, um, which is what the regulator is indicating. And I agree with you. I think the onus that it places on the financial services provider is just too big. And that means that over time, advice becomes expensive. How do you figure out what, how profitable a client is and where do you price your advice? Um, should it be across the board or is it more individualized? What's your thinking around that? Yeah, so again, um, we see the clients as a um, as the client and um, um, utilizing, again, technology with the likes of a comp space and our own, our, our own internal system. We're able to very accurately determine what the, what the income is from a client. Um, again, the, the, the starting point and idea behind Financial Emporium is, is that um, if you have one client, but you've got multiple kind of touch points or, or multiple hooks into the client, um, you don't necessarily have to have um, to, to overcharge in a specific area, but that the client um, in totality will be um, sufficient enough to be profitable. Um, so we've got uh, various uh, client segmentation um, categories that we have. Being a young, growing business with the average client age probably in the mid-40s, um, the, the far, the bulk of our clients are still in the wealth accumulation phase of their lives. Um, but we just segment the clients based on, um, on um, criteria that we've identified works well. Um, and the clients will then be able to move across these segmentations. Um, um, and then we, we've got an accurate, um, idea of what our cost base is. So we can kind of reverse engineer it to get you what, what, what is our fee? How do we, how do we get you our fee? Um, to be able to determine that we still run a, a profitable and a, and a viable business going forward. Gustav, I can hear that you've got your finger on the pulse of this business and that there's key things that you look at. Do you have some kind of key performance indicators when you think of your business? Or is are these things that you know, you've developed over time that you know, okay, I need to think of this? Um, I guess my question is, how do you keep track of the health of your of your business and what do you look at in detail and what do you just look at in terms of bigger picture hey this is moving in the right direction yeah it's funny that you mentioned that louis i'm actually busy now as we speak it should hopefully go live again this is again the the benefit and the power of having your own internal system so um kind of we call it just the key metrics that we're going to measure uh, so um if you come and visit our office in about let's say about a month or so you'll see a big ass tv slapped against the board, which will um, reflect on an ongoing basis the metrics of the business. So it's very important to me that everybody in the business is acutely aware of the value that they add to the business and how their small portion, how their contribution pushes the needle in a certain direction. Um, so with regards to the metrics that we that we tracking and will be tracking and will constantly improve and fine tune that going forward, but the, the, the big thing, so the number of clients, how we segment the clients. Um, uh, our income, what is upfront, what is recurring, um, um, the, the income sources across the, the product sets. So, um, again, these uh, that are familiar with, with Comspace, they've got a very nice analytical tool. Um, so we're playing around within that, um, analytical, um, capabilities. 
Um, with regards to our own internal system, um, I know exactly how many telephone calls every person makes. I know the amount of workflows or tasks that we, what we call every, um, um, every assistant, um, completes the time frame. So how long does it take to submit a specific claim or to get something done? So we're tracking all of those numbers so in terms of productivity, the amount of, um, what's the, some of the other metrics? Obviously, the bigger picture numbers, the, Assets under management, total premium, um, premium collected on the marketing side. Um, so, um, uh, we, uh, the clients rate and review the individual, um, members of the staff, but also the business as a whole. So we track those kind of numbers. Those are kind of the big ones. So a lot, a lot got to do with productivity. So even including that the amount of sick days, as an example, it's very interesting, but I know exactly which of my staff tend to kind of, uh, call a spade a spade would maybe take liberties with regards to sick leave and which don't. Um, so now we're going to see uh, with regards to our way that we uh, appraise all of our members. Um, those are kind of some of the variables that we'll take into consideration. Um, but productivity, how efficient are you in, in doing a job? How quickly do you get the work out? How, um, how correct is the information? And the normal standard big numbers that everybody likes to follow, assets under management, um, premiums collected, um, um, and just the, the composition just of our income is something that I'm very um, keeping a, a, a close eye on. So what income comes from which sources? Is it ongoing? Is it recurring? Um, the advisors that we've all got a, our, our expectation or target. Um, are you achieving the target? Um, yeah, those are kind of numbers. So, um, very important for us. Um, in the past, I, I always kind of, you know, in your gut with regards to uh, if the business is doing well or not. But now I, I've gone kind of full kilt and, and, um, yeah, as I'm going to track a lot of metrics and, um, we'll probably expand on this on a, on an ongoing basis because, um, it, it's going to be the, the barometer or the thermostat of the business. Are we doing the right thing and are we moving the needle in the right direction? And very importantly also for me is that at the moment we've got the advisors that, that deal with the clients, but it's more the admin and support staff that actually do a lot of the work. And I want to be able to, to show them and clearly um, articulate and show them in terms of how their value and how their contribution is pushing the enterprise in a, in a specific direction. So that's why tracking these metrics is something that I'm very passionate about. And, um, yeah, my deadline is end of Q1. So I still got till the end of March to get the project up and running. Brilliant. I know how much work and effort goes into tracking and updating something like that. Um, and like you mentioned, you know, you're building a template for running a business and then you can just, you know, replicate it. If you had to only keep your eye on one number or one figure on that dashboard, what would it be for you? Just the number of clients. I think, um, if the number of clients continually increases, um, uh, I know that the, that the staff, the people, the advisors, the specialists sitting behind the scenes are able to add value. So as long as the number of clients kind of improve, uh, increases, I'm fairly happy with that. There is a caveat. Obviously, we all got a, a limit or cap. Um, so coupled with that, the number of uh, the size of the team as well. So you can't have the number of the clients just kind of increasing. Um, um, and, and have your, your staff kind of pushed, um, to, to the limit. Um, but that's it. It's like, um, that's the one number. Cause if that client brings whatever way, shape or form we add value to that client, um, that is by default going to be a profitable, um, relationship for us and for the client. So as long as we know that the client base is, in, is, is improving, that's exactly what I want. Uh, I sometimes wake up with a cold sweat in the middle of the night thinking, gosh, shouldn't I just have 20 clients and only do investments? That would be such an easy business. And yes, it would. If you get 20 ultra high net worth clients, it would be a very easy business, but that's, that's just not what I, what we, what we want to try and aim to achieve. So our business is very complicated. It's very integrated. Um, but I think we've got a firm grip, um, on what we do and how we do it. So, um, yeah, it's a complex business, but I think it's, it's going to be a very valuable business 10 years down the line. Um, so that's why, as I said, um, the number of clients would be my number one. Um, the other reason why number of clients is important is, is that we all know that your clients is your best marketing um, tool out there. So if a client feels confident enough 
to recommend you to somebody close to him, you know you're doing the right job. So um, by default, that would mean um, that you maintain, you retain your existing clients and you you attract more new clients um, from your existing client base. So just the, the, the number of clients I would be happy with. That makes so much sense, Gustav, in terms of building your business and kind of that would be your top line number, growing the amount of clients. You mentioned that you survey your clients and how happy they are with individual uh, interactions. Would that be something like a net promoter score? And how did you create that? How did you come up with that solution to track that part? So, so we're still kind of, kind of winging it and, and finding finding our feet with regards to that. So, um, it's more it, it, clients don't uh, always provide feedback um, on the first kind of a. Or, or out of their own accord, let's put it that way. Um, so there's a lot of nudging from our side um, to ask for honest feedback. I think the tighter and the more regular the feedback loop is, the better you are because it, 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 it points out, it shows the blind spots in your business. Um, so yeah, we, we still also kind of fine tuning our process with regards to how often, how regular and the format that we get. Um, it's just um, something that we, that we feel passionate about if we, if you do a good job, tell us. And if you don't do a good job, also please tell us. Um, so as I said, there's a strong focus on this constant improvement, and it ties back into that question that you asked right in the beginning with regard to the mindset. And that's why we're never, we're never happy. We're never content. Um, one of our key values is, is excellence. So I'm constantly striving to, to deliver a 12 out of 10, not a 10 out of 10. Um, and uh, one of the ways that we are able to prove that uh, is by getting that feedback from the client. So um, everybody on a regular basis, we ask for feedback from the clients because um, ultimately they are our clients. And if, if we just listen to them, um, we'll have a, a happy client. It's as easy as that. Absolutely. Henry Ford said you might have a faster horse, but I completely understand getting an extra piece of information in to help you create your strategy for the future and think about your business. And Gustav, when you think about 15, 20 years out in the financial planning you know, profession, as we're all trying to move it to, what do you see as the most important trend? You've mentioned a couple of things that the advisor is becoming the relationship manager with a strong support network that we're moving away from, you know, one man bands and into uh, ensembles or, you know, groups of advisors. What are the trends driving this? And, and what does your crystal ball say the next 15 or 20 year holds? So it's all driven by the internet. Um, so, um, and information. Um, the reality is, 20, 30 years ago, information was limited. People didn't have access to information. Thereby, you had to go and consult this IE specialist to get an access to the information. But the internet is kind of it's just breaking down that barrier. So going forward, whether it's robo-advice or artificial intelligence or whatever, but the information will be freely, freely available. So a key trend, and I think the the more forward-thinking advisors already know this, is that um, if you are positioning yourself and you're going to be an execution-only kind of advisor, i.e., I'm the middleman and helping you execute a, a sale or transaction or um, implement a new product or policy, um, that's going to be a very – I don't know how long that's going to be around. So we need to pivot and know that information is freely available. Clients still need – the education part thereof. So the information is available, but the role of the financial advisors there to kind of educate and guide. That's why there's this big shift towards kind of life coach and coaching and financial, holistic financial planning is more about the big picture. The information is available. And then what I'm seeing is more and more clients will then self-execute. Um, so a client would come to you, the information is freely available. So the client would have already done a bit of research but they would then consult you and you with your skills and expertise and knowledge would be able to kind of to bring all of these multiple aspects together into a into a holistic kind of financial plan. And the financial plan will be discussed and then at the, the, the net result thereof is the execution of, of a couple of things that the client will then self-execute again. I think the role of the, the financial advisor will definitely shift more towards kind of the the advice part, um, the life, the, the coaching element, 
and less on the on the educational um, and less on the execution side. Um, another big trend that I'm seeing that we also diving quite deep in is with regard to crypto assets, cryptocurrencies, or digital assets. Um, I think the world is um, moving very quickly towards um, a more uh, decentralized um, world where um, the big product providers, whether it's the banks or the insurers or the asset managers, the the power grip will will start to slip away as people um, get more comfortable to to operate and work into a, in a decentralized environment where there's more direct peer to peer kind of uh, channels that are opening up and crypto assets and digital assets will play a key part in that. Um, so uh, we know that digital assets are not regulated in South Africa and it's probably still going to be a, quite a number of years, but we're positioning ourselves um, at the forefront of that area as well. I myself am a certified Bitcoin professional already and um, um, we are sharpening our tools with regards to um, the vast amount of um, investment options and structures that will come down the line. Um, so yeah, I think in the in in the future, um, just like um, uh, currently when you when you're a child, you have this kind of this passage or right of way to to move into adult world adulthood. Um, in that passage, depending on your culture or background, it might be something as simple as learning how to shave or cooking a meal or doing your own laundry. And I, and I firmly believe one of the other things that will happen is managing your own finances. We're all acutely aware that the schooling system in South Africa does not gear you in how to manage your own finances. And it's something that unfortunately you'll have to, to you wing it, you learn on the, on the flyer as you, as you grow older. But I think more and more financial planning and financial management will become part of this, this, this rite of passage for you to become an adult. First, you have to manage your, your 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 finances. Hence the book, manage your finances like a effing grown up. That that that's how things will kind of play out, and that's why um, the execution role will be there will be a, le a less focus on the execution, but uh, our role as financial planners will not will not disappear. You'll just need to adapt and change into the uh, this new world in terms of how we'll operate and and interact with each other. Um, so yeah, it's a very interesting um, um, next 10, 20 odd years that's, uh, that's lying away for us. There's some massive shifts coming. And I think what I'm hearing is that you're saying the things to focus on is relationships with the client. And it's also this wave of continuing you know, to invest in digital assets and, and still becoming valuable for your client, actually having conversations around that. What surprised you the most through your learnings around becoming, you know, a certified Bitcoin professional and learning about these digital assets? Is there anything that maybe challenged your assumption or changed your mind on on some of the aspects of how it works? Well, obviously, those that are familiar with the, the history of Bitcoin would understand that uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, that 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 wrote the white paper on Bitcoin, wrote it after the collapse of the 2007 and 8 Great Financial Crisis that we had. Um, so this was somebody, obviously a very intelligent kind of individual saying that, hang on, why is all the wealth kind of, kind of locked into kind of, uh, the Wall Street, all these big corporates? Why are they in charge? Why is it kind of, why do you need to be a, a, a approved kind of investor? Why do the rich have access to certain investments that the, the poor don't? Um, and, and, and those are a lot of kind of the, the difficult conversations that this, this digital assets and crypto, cryptocurrencies are trying to solve, where, where everything will just be split more, distributed more equally between everybody on the planet. It's not, we all know how, how the income uh, disparity is in South Africa, but on a global stage, it's again, the, the, the top 1% um, of the wealth in the world is, 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 uh, Consolidated in the hands of, of, of quite a few people. Um, so this kind of decentralized new world that we're heading into will just distribute um, everything in much more evenly. And um, um, irrespective of which political kind of uh, affiliation you kind of lean more towards, I think everybody would say, but that's not a bad idea. Um, and that's why um, everything that's got to do with cryptocurrencies and blockchain and everything is it's got to it ties back into this where 
everything is 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 transparent um it's immutable um we can all see there's everything is shared more equally amongst everybody can benefit everybody can take part and participate in this um so um yeah um as i said one of my 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 initial kind of um issues that i had with my initial um my first employer was this limited mandate that i had so i wanted to give advice on multiple products and but i was limited so we all yearn for that freedom and i think digital assets and cryptocurrencies provides that freedom and flexibility um and i think that's why i'm 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 very um, passionate about that um and um uh, i think it's going to um in the next 5 to 10 years um um as the adoption uh, starts picking up we'll all just kind of engage with it on a more regular basis um and ultimately we'll all benefit from it Gustav what i'm not hearing is super returns um nfts going viral bringing you in you know millions of dollars i'm hearing democratization and access to financial products in structures that you know, people previously didn't have access to do you think the investors expectation is aligned with that and you know do you see that through the conversations you're having with clients um you know obviously at the moment it's still very volatile um so a lot of people get lured into the into into the market um based on 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 very high kind of return expectations sometimes it's very easy to um, to achieve those higher return expectations but as we all know there's a lot of risks involved as well um on a fairly regular basis there's there's hacks there's risks there's code that goes bang the, that goes bang um there's a lot of things that can go kind of pear shape um and it usually ends in tears um so i i tend never to lead with that kind of benefit because ultimately that's a benefit that um the, the reason why a lot of these returns are so high is it's kind of to lure money into the into a, a specific protocol uh, and we all know it's not sustainable so over time those returns will kind of will start to calm down um a, a key trend that we've been tracking this entire year is, is how um the the technology stocks and and crypto assets are moving in in sync and are correlated they are to each other um so all that i see is initially is that crypto assets we initially we have assets and uh, equity bonds uh, property and cash i just see cryptocurrency or digital assets being a fifth, uh, fifth kind of a asset class that will be added into a more holistic um, portfolio um and it's got more to do with regards to diversification and getting getting something completely different um the return expectation that's just something that the client needs to uh, the advisor needs to manage with the client and it's exactly the same whether you go into equity fund or balance fund or into money market um so yeah we tend not to lead with that um but at the moment yeah we do see uh abnormally high figures that um um that are able to be generated on on specific protocols but um yeah you just need to you need to educate yourself and be aware of all the risks that are involved as well I completely agree with that and I think it goes back to this theme that you know you has been playing out over your career of spending time upskilling yourself and only then taking action and maybe it gets to a point where you know we all say hey we we got it wrong but if you get it right uh, I think you will be far ahead of the curve in terms of helping clients with this and it's it's trying to project what the demands are going to be from our client base and you know it can never be a bad thing just exploring this what else do you think advisors should be spending their time on to make sure that they're still relevant and valuable 15 or 20 years from now so it would be just kind of practice management it's doing the same thing but more efficient better quicker faster cheaper um and again that's where technology is a big enabler a big lever that you can pull to uh, to help you with regards to that so um there is a million things that go into running into a business and again if you have this growth mindset if you have uh, a high expectation of yourself in terms of what you want to achieve um you'll focus on every single element and as i said as i mentioned earlier we try and achieve just a 1% improvement across all the multiple facets um so uh, just practice management never get stuck in a rut never never be 
and never be too old or too clever to grow and change and adapt. That's unfortunately a big thing that I, that I still see with some of my older colleagues that they, they just, they, they, they feel very secure, very safe in the, what they've accumulated and what they've built up over the last 20, 30, 40 years. Um, and now there's a big hesitance in terms of changing. Why do I need to change? It's been working for the last 40 years. It'll work for the next 40 years. That mindset is a very difficult, is a very dangerous space to be in. So constantly asking difficult questions, constantly pushing back, constantly evolving, constantly adapting. So just becoming comfortable with change, I think, is a big is a, it's something that's very uncomfortable. I recently just moved house, and I can tell you it's a very painful process. But I've been in the new house now two, three days, and I'm already kind of accustomed to the new house as well. So I think just part of my DNA is is, is getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, that kind of kind of outlook. And um, I think, as I said, with the financial planning, um, there's a lot of moving elements. There's a lot, of, a lot of moving parts in the business. And I think it's important for you to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. There's going to be constant pushback from the regulators, from the product providers, um, and you need to be able to adapt and change on an ongoing basis. So you need to be nimble, you need to be light, you need to be able to move quickly. Gustav, and with that pool of wisdom, I thank you for joining me today. You know, the show is all about the future evolution of advice, and you are definitely living it out through building your business, through working on your skills, and it is a pleasure to have you here today. I wish you all the best and all the success with it. Um, may it last for a very long time. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Louis, very much um, for the opportunity. Um, yeah, I'm very passionate about the industry. I'm very passionate about, uh, or optimistic at least, about the future. I think us and, and South Africa in general, we've got a very bright future ahead of us. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm keen to take part um, and see how the landscape changes and develops over time. And um, thank you also for your part. Um, you are very much a forward thinker and you, you're definitely giving back to the industry. I wish I had more time, um, but my time is, is stuck in the, in the tranches. But thank you very much from the industry um, for the value that you add um, to the industry as a well. whole. Thank you, Gustav. We're in this together until we see each other again. Bye-bye.